I'm Anna Tonk. Welcome to How to Be Human, a podcast that explores the common and often confusing themes of humanness. Hello. It's me all by my lonesome. I'll be honest. It's funny. This is an episode that I have been wanting to make for a while and been thinking about for a while. I had some notes going, but hadn't thought to commit, you know, to actually doing it until recently. And I thought I had a little more time, but guess what? I didn't read my own production calendar correctly, which is very funny to me. So today, episode 63, self-abandonment. A lot fell into place in my life when I deepened my understanding of what self-abandonment is And when I pushed myself to quit feeling shame that it was a behavior I was still engaging in and was like, let's just look at it deeper, bitch. Like, let's just look at it. Just keep looking at it. And if you'll keep looking at it, you'll start seeing things and then you can work with it. You know, that's what I always try best I can to sort of task myself with because We can't know everything when we want to know it, unfortunately. We can't fix everything when we want to fix it. It's like, isn't it all just so fucking annoying being a person at times, you know? It's like we can know full well this behavior, this pattern, this whatever isn't serving me. And yet, here I go doing it once again, you know? So what is self-abandonment? I'm taking this definition from... I don't know if they say it NAMI or NAMI, but the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And they say essentially self-abandonment is when you reject, suppress, or ignore part of yourself in real time. In other words, you have a need or desire you want to meet, and often on the spot, you make the decision not to meet it. They give an example. Example A, Jen comes home from a long, exhausting work week and is looking forward to resting. A friend calls asking if she can come over to vent about her difficult relationship. While Jen knows what she wants, she still reluctantly tells her friend to come over. Raise your hand if you relate to that example and you are Jen because my hand's up. I mean, I literally just raised it. I'm literally alone in my apartment recording this and raised my hand. So... I don't know why I'm telling you that. Maybe I want some point for solidarity for y'all to know I am in it with you. But a couple years ago, I mean, and honestly, not that many. This was such a point of tension in my life and in my relationships. And I remember when my therapist said the word, you know, self-abandon, self-abandonment to me and was like, or would say like, why did you abandon yourself or whatever? And I would be like, I didn't know that's what I did. I'm definitely prone to 
leaving myself behind. Like that is for sure a thing. I think it's for a multitude of reasons. You know, is it the curse of being the oldest child? Ha ha ha. I mean, it certainly doesn't help, you know. Is it that I like to be helpful and accommodating to people? And that can also lead me astray where I do that at the, at the expense of myself. Ding, ding, ding. That might be a possibility. There is a million reasons why when I'm at this crossroads of do I serve myself or, or another, I nine times out of 10 will serve someone else. And it got me into a place where I was very angry and resentful. And it was very free floating because I kept leaving myself. I kept being like, I'll come back. And I had two moments, you know, besides the fact that I started realizing, you know, it's kind of funny when your therapist is really sort of pushing you on something and they start sort of peppering in terms more and they, they pepper a word in more often. And I remember when I said to her, I was like, you keep saying self-abandonment. Like, so do I abandon myself? And she's like, yes, that's exactly what you do, you know? And I was like, okay, shit, can you explain that to me? And it's like funny when you reflect back. And I remember when I went to see this shaman, Bettina, in the desert of Utah. Yeah, that's a real sentence. I had a really, really powerful reading with her. It was one of the first times I was going through, I guess I was kind of going through a breakup or, uh, I, you know, something fell apart with this dude and it triggered all these big feelings I had about abandonment and rejection and all this stuff. And it was like, not even about him, but in even like the ghost of my dead father was like, oh, I'm going to come up to be revisited. And I was like, oh, this is real fucking cool. Like literally just like a three month dating adventure has gone awry and I'm like fully having a mental breakdown. What is happening? So I just went out to the desert to get weird with it. And honestly, it worked. I recommend that to anybody else. I think when you're going through a really bad breakup of some kind or something that's like some real shit in your life, go away if you can. It's like you don't feel a part of your life and your world. So like go to a different world, go somewhere else. It was really, really helpful. I like went there. I like really kind of swam in my fields and I hiked canyons and I would go up for sunset and I would like lay on this asphalt and I, you know, and watch the sunset in the desert. It was just really, really good for me. And I recommend it to other people when your heart hurts. If you can, I get it. It's a luxury, but I found this cheap place and went, had a reading with uh, Bettina and she brought up to me that she was like, some of your core wounds around feeling neglected, like, what did you do to your inner child? And she walked me through this sort of meditation where I realized I had gone and put my inner child in a room in an attic and been like, I'll come back when it's safe. <laughs> and it was this major realization for me how I had sort of like replicated my own trauma, you know, to myself and continue to do so. And I think that that's like what can be tricky is like, there's so many different words, there's so many different terms, there's so many different ways, but it's hard sometimes for us to really see the ways in which we are perpetuating harm, you know, that how we are perpetuating the ways in which we were harmed. And I definitely do that. And I got to a point a couple years ago 
where I was like, I give. And the harm that I was perpetuating and recreating for myself was self-abandonment. It was constantly putting the needs of other people before my own. And I'm not really martyry about it, to be honest. I'm not really a martyr. I've got different flaws. I'm prone to different behaviors. I more get confused and get really in the thick of it and think that this is reality. And I was listening actually to Chelsea Handler's podcast and she had Lori Gottlieb on who wrote the book, I Think You Should Talk to Someone. And she's a therapist and they were answering a caller's question or seeking advice about, you know, I want to say it was a family dynamic, but I can't remember. Friends or family, I can't remember. And Lori said to the woman, you or the person, I can't remember if it was a woman, you act like they get to make the rules and you have to follow them. And I was like, whoa. And I had a very physical reaction. And honestly, y'all, this was not that long ago. This was like less than a year ago. But it deepened my understanding of what is my own hook. And that's a way with any behavior that that affects me that I'm frustrated in. Like, it's not enough to just go, why do I do that? But I have to look at to myself of like, what is a bit like the scam, you know? <laughs> I think of it a bit that way of like, what is the scam? I think a lot of this stuff that harms us is a bit of a scam, you know? So if you can kind of demystify it, you can figure out like, what is the hook? And the hook for me is I'm very much like sort of um, a diligent soldier and I will go, you know, let me put myself to the side. You know, like I am prone to thinking other people do get to make the rules and I have to follow them. And it is a constant act for me to remind myself, like we all get to make our own rules. We all make our own rules, you know? You know that. And what I liked about this article actually is they started off with self-abandonment is a strange concept. How can you abandon yourself when you are always with you? That I think was tricky for me to find, to figure it out because I'm also pretty confident, you know, and I also have a big energy. So I think it was confusing both for like friends and myself, you know, like when I would talk to people about it, they were like, what, you know, but then people who really know me in our circle are like, oh yeah you overwhelm yourself all the time. They're like, you'll tell me that you're like at capacity and then somebody reaches out and you're like, you just do it, you know? So when I started looking at that, like when, when I really started to understand better what self-abandonment was, actually Mari, you know, who's been on the pod, she does a monthly meditation that is open to subscribers uh, to her newsletter, I think. I think that's how you get on that list. And, or I think you can just reach out to her. It's the last Monday of the month. She's in on the West Coast. So it's 5 p.m. Pacific. So it's 8 p.m. for me in New York, but it's the last Monday of every month. And there's generally a theme that corresponds to what she's sort of puzzling on and musing on. And right before I went to Italy, she did one about staying with ourselves in moments of transition. And I, it was, it was like really, really, really comical for me because I didn't want to go that night. I was just like kind of tired and over it and stressed about getting ready for Italy. Cause it was really, it truly was like the Monday. I think I was leaving on Thursday or Wednesday 
you know, and I was just like, oh, I just can't like, give me a break. Like what, what packing am I doing at Monday at eight o'clock? You know, none. So I went and I loved what she said about building up your tolerance to stay with yourself. And I realized what I was getting confused about for myself was a lot of the things that contribute to self-abandonment I had worked on. I have worked a lot about on my self-trust. I've worked a lot on my self-worth. I've worked a lot on my self-care, all of that. Like going back to the NAMI, NAMI, they say at its core, self-abandonment typically arises from a lack of self-trust. So the fundamental solution to self-abandonment is self-trust and making a commitment to yourself. Anything that involves self-care, self-exploration, or asserting yourself is a step in the right direction. Well, you know, like <laughs> another part might be learning to handle peer pressure in parentheses. Yes, just like in high school. I mean... And I'm going to continue reading this because I think it's helpful before I come back to my Mari point. But here are two questions you can apply to any situation to determine if you are operating from self-abandonment. One, for what reason am I making this decision? If the answer involves guilt, shame, fear, timidity, or generally negative emotions, you might be in abandonment mode. Two, if I were the only person on earth, would I still want to do blank? This removes other people's influence from your decision-making and frees you up to determine how you actually feel. Remember, there's no quick and easy solution. You won't become, you don't, we don't become self-abandoners from one decision, so we won't change after one positive experience. Eventually, you'll create a reservoir of experiences in which you trusted yourself and things worked out. With those in mind, you won't default to self-abandonment. With those in mind, self-trust will come more naturally. I think for me, it was hard to eliminate the chatter. And it's funny, my friend Alwyn, many years ago, when I was talking about how I struggled with being uncomfortable, she was like, but why? It's just like any feeling like any other and it's temporary. And I was like, oh my God, you're right, it is. And but there was something about discomfort or being uncomfortable that was so physical for me. It was just really difficult. I just had to really learn how to build up my window of tolerance for discomfort. And I think that self-abandonment was like my Olympics that I was training for in the sense of learning how to really tolerate discomfort. And Something about the way Mari put it in this, can you build up your ability to stay with yourself in moments of transition when you're not where you want to go or you're not? And I thought that's really where the work is for me. It's not learning. I feel pretty clear and I'm allowed to like want what I want. <laughs> I feel pretty clear and I'm allowed to have desires. I'm allowed to have needs. Like I feel pretty clear in that. I don't understand why I feel like I'm in constant negotiation with people or I'm like in arguments with people about why I'm allowed to have that. And I think some of it is because I'm willing to have those fucking arguments and that I had to stop, you know, and just be sort of like, I'm not discussing this or I'm not explaining to you or sometimes with my mom, because my, you know, moms can just be mom and I just have to be very matter of fact with her and be like, it's wild you think you get to make that decision for me. And she's like, you know what, you're right. You know, <laughs> you know, in looking at this more recently, this piece of building up 
my ability to stay with the discomfort, you know, my ability to stay with the discomfort of letting somebody down, my ability to stay, you know, with the discomfort of saying no, my ability to stay with the discomfort of going, I would love to be that person. I know I'm not, I'm going to trust that, you know? And also I think sometimes when people would, you know, when a friend, you know, is well-intentioned, but always wants, you know, her idea for this podcast is, is always to suggest tarot stuff and be like, I think you should do tarot readings. I think you should do a tarot reading for everyone you read for. And I'm just not really super interested in it. You know, it's not really where I feel like my work is going right now. It's it. people are weird about, you know, having tarot. I just don't want to do it. And I would get annoyed and I would be like, well, it's, I'm not, that's not where I am right now. Cause I was like, I'm not self-abandoning me. I'm going to stay in my energy and assert this. And I would like get mad at her a bit and be kind of like, oh, why is she bringing this up again? You know? And finally I was like, you bring up tarot every time I, I talk about the pod. I'm just curious. Why? What is it? What is it? I don't necessarily see the link. What is the link for you? And she was like, well, I just think you're really good at it. So I think like, I just want to hear more of it. And I was like, oh, I just, I really appreciate that. And I was like, what an interesting way to just like resolve tension in an instant by like literally just asking a question versus like clinging so much to like protecting your own identity. Like this is someone who, who loves and cares about me, like drop the shit for a minute and just ask them, you know? just stick with the discomfort for a hot second of like, it irritates me. I feel uncomfortable. You know, the, the fact that she keeps bringing this up makes me feel like she doesn't see me. She doesn't hear me. Like obviously all of that is like spiraling out and not exactly what is happening. So let it all happen. And then as my therapist, as Christina would say, come back to your wise mind, you know, come to the wise mind, let it all happen. Feel the feels, hold it all in your hands and then go, you know, what does the wise mind say? And the wise mind goes, this is someone who cares about you. So they're probably trying to demonstrate that. Why don't you ask them what the significance of the tarot is? And um, guess what? You get a lot more out of things that way. You learn a lot more about people. You stay in connection. You don't create rupture. There's no need to do a repair. It's like we both just learned more about each other in this moment. You know, how cool. Isn't that the way we want things to go? I do think there are people, I do think there are, as much as I don't think things are as black and white as, you know, we're prone to try to make them. I don't know that there's as many binaries as we've been led to believe. But I do think that generally there's, you know, whether it's the light and shadow or whatever, there's there's two sides of the coin. And I think that people, either their self-trust falters for a variety of reasons and that's something that I don't think you always have to feel bad about, especially women are socially con conditioned not to trust themselves. <laughs> you know, like it's built into the system that people will try to separate you from yourself and try to say you don't know what you think or you don't know what you feel. So if it's hard for you to really stay connected, and I don't think we're plugged into and connected to anything at all times, like maybe just ourselves and like, you know, that the heart's pumping and the lungs are taking in air, but like, I don't think you can trust yourself, to, you know, 100% 24-7. I don't think the marker of success is that you're in that space or in that energy or able to hold that at all times, you know? I think of it as, 
touching it? Like, am I close enough that I can touch it? And if I get too far away that I can't touch it, then I need to investigate. If I don't feel able to touch my self-trust, I think if you listen to the pod, you know I do a lot of visualizations. I didn't really realize how many visualizations I did until first I went into therapy and then two, I started doing this podcast and realizing, oh my God, I'm just like a lot of visualizations like strung together into a person. But I think of my self-trust as like, can I touch it? Can I connect to it? Am I able to hold it and grip it in my hand if I wanted to? I mean, I think you might want to find your own ways. Like maybe that'll resonate with you. Cool if it does. If it doesn't, understand. It sounds kind of kooky. However, what is your way of doing that? What is your metric? How do you know if you're really trusting yourself right now or not? Because the more I started to sort of examine and and let myself sink into some of these things, like it let me know where I needed to be stronger and where I needed to go, oh, I need to really look at what are the things that gets in the way of my self-trust. And for me, it's a lot of sort of imagined fear, to be honest. It's an imagined audience and imagined fear. I'll sort of like get defensive or be like, you know, well, I did that because of blah, 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 you know, or whatever. And like, nobody is asking, literally nobody, you know? So I had to really work on conditioning, getting myself out of that, you know, reconditioning myself that I don't have to defend my actions. I don't have to explain them to anybody. I can trust who is asking from a point of seeking connection and wanting to know me and understand why I do the things I do versus who is maybe not in my best interest questioning me, you know, that I can trust myself to navigate and know the difference. As you know, I've been on a real Melissa Phoebos tip, and I just wanted to read something from her book, Abandon Me Memoirs. It's a collection of essays, and it's about, it's really beautiful. It's really good. I know that I've been going real hard for her lately, but I just, I don't know. I just resonate deeply with it, and she's an incredible writer, and So Abandon Me started as a story about a lover, a relationship, and it's also about her father, and it's about abandonment. And I've had a lot of abandonment in my life, so I don't feel ashamed like I did. I used to feel like a real fucking loser that I could be so influenced by other people in a way, that I did want to be liked and all this stuff. But if you've got abandonment wounds, it's not, for me, it wasn't peer pressure, really. It wasn't like I wanted to be cool or I wanted people to like me. I wanted to know how to make them not leave me. It came from a deeper, more wounded place. And I wouldn't say that I'm not afraid of people leaving anymore. Of course, I mean, you know, none of this stuff ever goes away fully. However, I can meet myself and take care of myself differently. I don't have to live and operate in fear of people leaving. I now accept people will leave and that doesn't mean anything about me as a person. But when that stuff gets coded in really young, it's tough to sort out, you know? And I would also offer to people like, I'm not trying to make people have abandoned wounds that don't have them, but you know, my father died when I was young, but it wasn't just that. There was other stuff, you know, that there just wasn't a lot of emotional presence when I was really young. And 
that did make me bake in the idea that I wasn't worth that, that I didn't deserve that, that I didn't deserve people who showed up for me emotionally. So, you know, really started all, I really got on a hamster wheel there, you know, and that's how that works out. And giving myself that context has been also really liberating that I don't have to feel bad about this. I don't have to feel like it's some problem I have to correct. It is a privilege and a joy to give myself the healing around it because it lets me come more fully to myself. Oh, before I really read the, um, you will, you know what? I'm going to read the Melissa Fibos thing and then I'm going to read you the other thing. Okay. So when the captain no longer came to our house, but to a house in another part of town, my mother traded her tears for psychotherapy textbooks. From then, we learned how to name our feelings. Are you angry? My mom asked us. How about sad? I shook my head. My brother refused to sleep. In my 20s in New York, my friends and I made punchlines of our abandonment issues. And in certain moments in our therapist's offices, we could glimpse their true size, like the dark length of a whale passing beneath a boat. It stole my breath, the shock of my own smallness, the strength of the unseen, how easy capsizing could be. Abandonment. What did that really mean? That I was left? That I had learned to leave myself? That I would retell the story until I found a different ending? Until I learned to stay? And I, I read that to my therapist. And she said, what's really moving you about that? First, she said, what a beautiful way of writing about dramatic reenactment. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, that's exactly what she's talking about. She's talking about her exploring her traumatic reenactment. And I was like, oh, I didn't even pick up on it on that level. But then she said, what moved you so much about that? And I said, I guess because I haven't read a lot of people read about it. And because I think it's what I'm learning. I think I'm learning how to stay. And she's like, and what do you think you're learning to stay with? And I was like, well, first myself, I'm learning to stay when it feels scary or I, or it feels hard or, you know, and she was like, I agree with that. And then another thing I wanted to offer is that's like loosely related, maybe not fully related that my mom sent me I'm just looking for it and it is a quote from the snow leopard by Peter is I don't know if it's Matheson I think so I'm, I'm gonna go with that my mom sent this to me out of nowhere the lost paradise of our true nature and then she also sent me a <laughs> immediately following that a photo from a villa in Pompeii with a guy with the biggest dick you've ever seen. So my mom likes to keep me on my toes. She wouldn't say normally she sends me something profound and then something profane. My mom also does that where she'll clip something out of the newspaper and just send it to you. Like, no, no, no. Like I thought you'd find this interesting or I saved this line for you or whatever. It's just like cracks me up. But I love that the lost paradise of our true nature. And I think a lot of what my own healing, what my own drive, what this podcast is, how do we return to the lost paradise of our true natures, you know, or do, how do we accept, maybe they're not lost. How do you embrace it? But I really love that. And before I wrap up today, I just want to take a second for us all. Take a deep breath. Even if you're driving, take a deep breath. 
as you, as y'all can have probably noticed from my, you know, I'm like a pug on this, uh, podcast, always snuffling. I have chronic allergies. I never can breathe all that clearly, but taking this deep breath, letting it out and just feeling your own energy and feeling how you're completely whole and complete in this moment, regardless of anything else in your life, and knowing you are deserving of needs and meeting them at any point. You don't have to earn them. You don't have to heal yourself to get like need credit or whatever, but we are all deserving of our full selves, whatever that means. So I never know how to really feel about these episodes I do on my own. I'm like, sounds good to me, but let me know. Let me know if you like it when I riff on my own. Give me your thoughts on self-abandonment. Are you prone to it? What have you learned about it? And that's it. See y'all next week. Bye. That's all for today. If you're interested in submitting a topic, please go to anatonk.com and hit the contact button. Or you can email me at anatonk at gmail.com. If you're a fan of the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really does help.